1: Hi there and welcome again to the Explaining History podcast. Now, earlier I was talking about uh, Chiang Kai-shek and the strategic position that he found himself in uh, 1937 um, with the uh, gradual uh, further encroachment uh, of Japan uh, into northern China um, and the uh, threat um, to the nationalist government of possibly losing Beijing um, and the uh, danger of um, missing the opportunity to actually commence hostilities with Japan. Chang was certain that uh, a point would have to come where war was uh, inevitable with Japan. Uh, but if you missed that opportunity, then the st- one would be placed in, a, in an almost untenable strategic position. Uh, if uh, Beijing or Beiping at the time, as it was called, fell, uh, that would uh, lose all of northern China and create the possibility of uh, a massive Japanese advance into central China, where the nationalists uh, dominated. So um, learning, picking the moment to um, call it and to call the opportunity for conflict is really, really crucial. And Chang decides to do this when there is uh, skirmishes over the Marco Polo bridge uh, near Beijing. So, in the previous podcast, we learned that uh, this was going to be a hugely risky venture for Chiang. There would be virtually no international assistance whatsoever. Uh, the Western democracies had no appetite for war with Japan, and um, the League of Nations was. Utterly compromised, and America was uh, locked in the midst of its own internal crises with the Great Depression, uh, and the international climate was showing that um, autocrats and authoritarians and dictators uh, were setting the uh, setting the weather um, in Spain, in Abyssinia, um, in, with Hitler's uh, overthrow of the provisions of the Treaty of Versailles and the uh, ongoing horrors of terror in the Soviet Union. Um, Chiang was not militarily ready to fight Japan and believed that um, there, were, uh, there was a core of modernization within the Guomindang army, which had been assisted by uh, German officers, uh, Siegten von Falkenhausen, um, who had uh, acted as military advisers. Um, but this has not gone far enough, and it's not big enough. So Rana Mitu writes again. Instead, uh, much of Chang's strategy would have to rely on troops provided by his supposed subordinates. He not only had to address how useful such troops would actually be, but he uh, but also how many commanders would in fact be loyal to him. Song Jiehuan um, and uh, had use, had had extensive contacts with the Japanese and seemed to miss no opportunity to bolster his own position at the expense of Chang's. Song was a Chinese warlord. Um, the nature of China at the time was that uh, significant parts of the territory are controlled by warlords who um, are often loyal to the Kuomintang government, but sometimes not. And so um, having part of the uh, the, the manpower reserves the Gwai government called upon came from uh, warlords Um, and so you had to really make sure that these guys were on side Um, and often if you went to them cap in hand uh, they could take the opportunity to extract concessions and and enhance their own power at the expense of Chiang Kai-shek uh, Yan Zhishan, who led the major inland province of Shanxi, um, had been known as a progressive warlord, but he had also been in part part of an anti-Chang alliance during the 1930s Northern Plains Civil War and had played the communists and Japanese off against the nationalists in the years leading up to 1937. The alliance with the communists was also very fragile. Despite the official message of cooperation, neither side truly trusted the other and the memories of the debacle at Xi'an were still powerful on both sides. The unappetizing menu left Chang with a stark choice. Either he acknowledged that northern China was lost, or he fought back. But uh, by fighting, the war would undoubtedly expand from a local conflict to an all-out confrontation between the two powers. Chang didn't have the time to deal with the the numerous problems that China had, um, China was facing um, the uh, breakup, facing internal breakup and uh, colonisation by Japan, which would uh, in in the minds of many Chinese and quite reasonably, be seen as part of an ongoing process of colonisation that China had experienced since the eighteen forties. Um China hadn't been able to modernize in the ways that Japan had. Um, there's a very interesting thesis on this subject put forward by Donald Sassoon that suggested essentially that um, Japan having been um, run by a samurai class uh, in the 1860s um, that was dedicated to um, militarization in um, the defense of the nation and uh, uh, china being having in the uh, the 19th century having been run by a a largely self-serving mandarin class that was interested in preserving their own power um result that this fact resulted in uh, a, a very efficient modernization in, uh, in in japan and a very sluggish and ultimately failed attempts at modernization in in china so um by the way that that's from the anxious triumph by Donald Sassoon, which is a, just a stunning stunning book uh which if you want to look at the origins of um the, the 19th century origins of global capitalism Get that book. It's it's truly, truly amazing. Um, So Japan um, was had time on its side and, and China didn't. Rana Mitter writes, China did not, as Chang would have wished, have sufficient time to professionalize more of its military, neutralize the separatist tendencies of its military leaders and strengthen the economic and fiscal base of the country. And the scale of preparation for war in Japan by 1937 made Chinese efforts look minor indeed. During the attempted coup of February 1936, Japanese finance, uh, um, Japan's finance minister, Takahashi Korekiyo, uh, um, um, uh, had been assassinated. A consequence of his death was a major increase in military spending. Japan's government and public were both increasingly fueled by a desire to teach China a lesson, and regard uh, its increasing unification with a growing sense and and growing sense of nationalism with alarm. There's a strange kind of uh, dual attitude towards China um, as in, in in Japan, as the China is seen as the kind of the impudent upstart that needs to be taught some some hard lessons in in modernization but also um the there is this sense of entitlement to chinese territory in japan this is this idea that really big swathes of china do do belong to japan uh, and Japan has proved itself worthy in almost a kind of slightly Darwinistic way of growth at China's expense. It's a, you know, this mighty martial people that have uh, learned the the, uh, the 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 tricks of the West should be given the opportunity to grow in, uh, um, and should be shown respect by China as the the kind of the hegemonic power in Asia. Um, but at the same time. There's something to be feared about China. If China does get its act together and uh, China modernises and industrialises and militarises in the right way, then there'll be no stopping her. So. Um, Unlike in Nazi Germany or fascist Italy, there was no single figure in Japan, no Duce or Fuhrer, whose personal megalomania lay at the heart of foreign policy. Instead, Japan had ended up with a toxic situation where most of its politicians, military and public, had become infected by war fever. Military spending now took uh, up nearly half of Japan's total budget. Furthermore, recovery from the Depression was fueled in part by uh, growth in heavy industry much of which made products that would be useful to any future war effort. At home, the media publicised the idea that Japan was being surrounded by hostile powers who wished to prevent its rise. In 1934, the Tokyo government abrogated the 1930 London Naval Treaty, which was supposed to retain restrain the size of Japan's navy in comparison with those of the USA and the British Empire. Now, nothing but budget would prevent Japan expanding its naval capacities in june nineteen thirty seven some six years after uh, um, uh, after some six years of Japanese policymakers blowing hot and cold towards China, a new man was appointed as prime Minister. It fell uh, to Prince Konoi Fumimaro to decide how to respond to the marco Polo bridge incident now um i've talked about Prince Konoi. Uh, before, um, when I did um, Erie Hotter's brilliant book uh, about the um, the year between uh, or the, the, the years between the, the outbreak of war in Europe and Pearl Harbour, Connolly um, is a, a pivotal figure in that. It's a very interesting, quite difficult to read character um, who would later... Um, go on to be a, a pivotal figure in Japanese, uh, Japanese, Japan's militaristic crimes. Um, however, one who was kind of Teflon enough the to to try to get out of most most of the the reckoning. Um, Konoi was an aristocratic civilian with abundant diplomatic experience. He had attended the Paris Peace Conference in 1919 and come away for it convinced that the nations of Asia would never receive a just settlement from the Western powers. Konohi, um came from one of the noblest families in Japan, so close to the emperor that he even spoke in the rather stilted language that was reserved for the royal family and a few, a few close courtiers. He was a cultured man who had translated works by Oscar Wilde in his youth and had an aristocratic temperament. He rarely held meetings before 11 o'clock in the morning. A stark contrast to Chang, whose military training and natural asceticism meant that as he regularly rose at 5 a.m. Yet Konoyi was also a weak man, unable to stand up to those who opposed him. His secretary called him as a hamlet-like and lonely. The aristocratic veteran politician, Prince Sayonshi Kimuchi, um declared that uh, Kanoi lacked the one thing needed in dealing with the army, strength. Um, so here we we're going to encounter some difficulties in, in, in the um, relationship between the political class and, and, and the, not just the army, but the Kwantung army in China, the Kwantung Army, quite literally, by um, uh, 1937, is a law unto itself in in Manchuria and makes policy decisions independent of the uh, political um, class in China, in Japan, Um, which in some ways um, politicians like Kanoi interpreted and saw that, that there was no choice ultimately than to go along with an army that was be out of control anyway. Konai's first test on the China question came just a month after his appointment. He found his cabinet split on the matter of how to respond to the Marco Polo Bridge incident. The senior general staff officer, Muto Akira, um, and the chief of military affairs, uh, of the military affairs department of the Ministry of War, Tanaka Shinichi.
0: There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with plush care.
1: Um, advocated an escalation of hostilities. Now was the time to strike hard at China and destroy Chiang Kai-shek's regime. Ishiwara Kanji, who uh, headed the operations division of the general staff, was much more cautious. This was ironic, as Ishiwara had been the mastermind behind the invasion of Manchuria, but had now argued that Japan was not ready for war with China and that opening a war with uh, the Nanjing government might even make Japan more vulnerable to the USSR. One should not exaggerate the difference between the two sides. Even moderates in the Japanese government believed that China should ultimately come under Japanese influence, but they disagreed on the timing. So this is a, a, a key distinction here, that, they, that there weren't factions within the Japanese government that um, thought that a, a kind of a peaceful liberal approach to China was in any way appropriate. It was the it was just a question of when we do it uh, and what the timing was and you find around the world in tokyo in berlin in moscow and london regimes obsessed with timing with inter- with, with looking at different scenarios for uh, for war and conflict different scenarios different time scales um, this is the, the the time period of uh, hit the same as Hosbach memorandum, uh, looking at different cases for war and when things could uh, ideally happen, and what the ideal circumstances are, and this this is this is similar, um, and the um, idea that um, uh, one course of action might be leave China, Japan more vulnerable than another. On the 9th of July, Sugiyama again. The Minister of War, known as the Toilet Door because it was said by his colleagues that one could push him in any direction, like the door in a Japanese laboratory stall, asked for five divisions to be mobilised for deployment in North China. The request was denied, but only for the moment. Back at the Marco Polo Bridge, the local Chinese and Japanese commanders were beginning to discuss a ceasefire. The Shanghai press was still trying to determine who was responsible for the incident. Who started the firing is still not clear, the North China Daily News of the 10th of July declared. But it is considered probable that the Chinese, guarding the railway bridgehead, seeking, seeing an army, armed party advancing along an embankment in the dark, challenged them and, on receiving no reply, opened fire, thinking them to be plainclothes men or Japanese staging a real attack. But by now, the fate of the bridge near Beiping was, uh, or Beijing um, was beside the point. The leaders of both China and Japan were seeing the events through a much wider lens. On the 10th of July, Chiang noted, the Japanese have already attacked at Lu Gao Chao, uh, but their goals don't stop there. Luogaochao, Chao, by the way, is the, the Marco Polo Bridge. We've already sent troops north. Perhaps we can restrain their ambitions, he went on. If we don't show preparation and determination, we can't resolve this peacefully. So... In some ways, the the uh, preparation to fight was a way of actually uh, deterring further Japanese attacks, deterring uh, further Japanese encroachments upon the um, uh, 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 upon China. But also it was um, something that was almost guaranteed to uh, escalate the situation. On the, on, on the July 11th, an American diplomat met He Ying Chin, um, Chang's minister of war, and asked him whether the confrontation at Lu Gao Chao um, meant war. Um, he Ying Chin uh, replied that it was up to the Japanese and that they, if they continued their bandit methods, then war would be inevitable. Um Peck put it to he, this is the American diplomat, uh, that even at a sacrifice, um, even as a sacrifice, it was worth postponing war for a couple of years to strengthen preparations. But he was firm. It would be hard to know exactly when China would be truly ready. And if they were attacked, then they would fight. So um, there were plenty of voices from within Chang's government that also um, urged caution. Uh, Chang's biggest rival for power, uh, Wang Jingwei, um, who, um, who would eventually collaborate with the Japanese, um, had spent most of the 1930s trying to de-escalate with Japan. Now, writes Ranamita, he advised Chang not to escalate the conflict. Another voice advocating patience belonged to Zhu Fohai. In 1937, Zhu was the deputy director of propaganda for the Nationalists, but he had taken the tortuous path to get there. As a young man, Zhu had been a founding member of the Chinese Communist Party, but had swiftly left it to join the Nationalists. Even so, he retained friendships with prominent uh, communists. Um, uh, When one of the party's founders, Chen Du Zhu, was um, released from prison in um, August 1937. Zhu uh, was one of the first uh, visitors. However, during the Nanjing decade, his politics drifted more closely towards Wang Jingwei's. Within a few months, their association would have huge consequences for both men. In the days after fighting broke out on the 7th of July, Zhu was on his way to join Chang at Lushan. On arrival, he wrote in his diary, I fear that an external issue will evolve into a domestic issue, which makes it harder for the central government to deal with. I'm disappointed. Even as he took uh, took in the atmosphere at Lushan, Zhu continued to hope that matters would be settled peacefully. The mood was convivial as he attended the banquet given jointly by Chang and Wang. Even though resistance was discussed at the the meeting on the 17th of July, there there did not seem to be desire for war. About seven people spoke, Zhu noted, but none of them was impressive. The next day, he wrote that he had heard that the Japanese ambassador to China, Kawago Shigeru, had been in contact with the Chinese foreign minister to try to calm the situation down and frame the conflict as a regional matter. Based on this, Zhu wrote about with a sense of hope, I reckon the incident won't expand. So in this moment between the um, incident at the bridge and the actual uh, full outbreak of war between China and Japan, there were still individuals on both sides who didn't have a kind of deterministic um, role or, or view of events, who didn't see war as inevitable. Who didn't see war as, as necessarily desirable, and who thought that um, diplomacy and uh, de-escalation was possible, and this is the interesting thing for us as history students: that there are these moments um, in the prelude to wars where there are still individuals, um, not of not, not individuals without consequence either. Who look to de-escalate, and it's very easy for us to knowing what happened, see what actually happened as the inevitable outcome, and it, it rarely is. Um, so we'll continue more with the build-up to China's uh, to to Chang's war uh, with Japan um, in the, the the third part of this this little little series, um, and hopefully we'll get some of that down later in the week. Um, Coming up later this week, by the way, I've got Sean McMeakin's new um, history of uh, Stalin's war, which is a a really interesting new perspective. Well, not necessarily new, but a a different perspective on our standard tropes about the Second World War. Okay, let's finish there. Thanks so much for listening, and you can always check us out at explaininghistory.org. Um, and you can check out our Patreon there. Um, it's always great if we can uh, have uh, patrons to back the podcast. It helps me to continue to put out really cool content like this. Thanks very much. All the best. Bye bye.